Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Good morning. Welcome to One Chapel, Lake Travis. We're so glad that you're with us today. And my name is uh, Cynthia Griffith. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing a series this morning um, on overwhelmed. And Pastor Ress has spoken the last few weeks and gone into great depth about anxiety in our lives and depression in our lives. And this morning, we're going to look at stress and uh, being overwhelmed. And then next week, we're going to be talking with a mental health expert. And the week after, we're going to be looking at something called the dark night of the soul. And we are well aware that these messages don't fix everything overnight. So what is not an expectation Um, We just want you to keep walking through the door, knowing that this is a safe place, that it's okay to not be okay. And, And I mean that, it's okay to not be okay. I know that firsthand here. And there's healing in authentic community. And if you haven't yet, I want to invite you to continue to connect. Um, and, And if you haven't yet, there's still time to connect, right? You can join this week. There's, there's nobody that's going to say, why didn't you join before? Just join this week. Find a group and get in one. And uh, let us be there for you in the, in the battle. So we are more stressed than we realize. Um, and these stress, what are these stresses? Where did they come from? And um, there are good stresses in your life. One Chapter Liberty Hill is a great example We know that the stress, the good stress that it took to renovate a whole building, to dig up the grounds outside, to redo and rebuild and re-envision and work late hours. And many of you helped to volunteer with that. That's a good stress, right? And there's other good stresses like weddings and new babies and new homes and new jobs. They're all good stresses in our lives. But I want to look this morning at what um, has been the statistics that have been researched over stress affecting our lives in this day and age. And there's an institute called the American Institute of Stress, stress stress.org, because we need an institute for that, right? (laughs) And um, they published something by the American Psychological Association, which is statistics from 2017, that shows some of the most common sources of stress. And I think you'll find them interesting, as I found them interesting, because the number one source of stress in people's lives that they stated was the concern over the future of our nation. The second one was money, which goes along with the third, which is work, because we're working to have money to provide. But those are the three top. And then the next one goes in the same theme is political climate. Like the political climate actually affects us more than we realize. And the last one being violence and crime, which for the first time in my life, I can say I've faced that and didn't expect it. And perhaps you have too. And so these are our top five. They're very different than they were in 2014. I think it's something to note. 
Um, they also documented what the symptoms of stress are. So you can kind of do a mental check and see fatigue, headaches, upset stomach, muscle tension, change in appetite, teeth grinding, the change in your sexual drive, feeling dizzy, irritability or anger, feeling nervous or having a lack of energy and feeling as though you could just cry. So the third thing I want to look at is what people said were the impacts of that stress, like on their life, okay? So they, uh, in this survey, they continued, and 48, so almost half the people who were surveyed, said that stress has a negative impact on their personal lives and their professional lives. So that means their entire life, right? 31% of employed adults say they have difficulty managing the work and family responsibilities. Do you guys find yourselves there? Because you guys, work has become, it it used to be something you went to and you left. But with the cell phone, it's something you can check in the morning when you first wake up. Do I think that's a good idea? No. But, but you know, we find ourselves doing that. It's just, I just want to get one more thing done. But then you find yourself working all the time. It's not put in its place anymore. 54% of uh, people surveyed said stress caused them to fight with the people closest to them. And 26% reported being alienated from a friend or a family member because of the stress in their life. So we are more overwhelmed than we realize. Some of us, the culture's pressing down on us so much, and we don't realize the effects that it has on us because we're just used to it. I believe that we're in an Isaiah 60 season. Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2, talk about kind of an end times picture. And verse 1 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 4, verse 2, Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen on you. So the world around us is increasing in darkness. And you know, the story of the wheat and the tares both grow up. Well, darkness is increasing, but the glory of God manifest in your life is increasing too. And you may not feel it, but I want to remind you of it right now because I do believe that this word is true for us and can be true for us. So his glory is going to be seen on us. But sometimes we don't identify with that. We feel completely overwhelmed and I don't know where your glory is, God. I think I lost it. And that's where I was three years ago when I came to One Chapel for the first time. And I like to say I walked in, but in my heart, I really feel like I crawled in. And I was in a perfect storm of my life, of family circumstances and life circumstances. Um, I had uh, gone through some trauma. I was dealing with PTSD, um, some serious medical conditions, loss of a paycheck and finances, um, violence, um, the death of a loved one, depression, anxiety. That would give me a sense of feeling like I was having a heart attack. And most of all, I was dealing with shame. 
of how weak I was in my response. Like how, how I felt. I'm just, you know, judging how I was doing. Hey, you're not doing very good. That's really bad. You should know better. You're a pastor. You should know how to deal with these things. You know the word. You know you need to worship. You know you need to reach out. Why, do you, why are you not doing so well? I, a lot of shame. Criticizing. Just agreeing with what the enemy was saying over me. But sometimes life hits us so hard when we don't know it's coming. And sometimes it's just the presence of a thousand little things that add up to this oppressive stress. So I came here and needed to be reminded of who I am and the I am. And you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. Romans 8.37 says, he has made us to be more than conquerors. More than conquerors. First John 5, 4 through 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. That belief, that faith overcomes the world. We're overcomers. We're overcomers even when we don't feel like we're overcoming because it's, it's who he says we are. So some of the greatest heroes of our faith didn't look like conquerors or overcomers in the moment. Well, you may feel a million miles away from being a conqueror, but according to Jesus, you are an elite royal priesthood. So when you think of a modern day overcomer conqueror, what comes to mind? What comes to mind for me is a Navy SEAL. Now, I love Navy SEALs. My brother has worked with Navy SEALs. So I feel some sort of connection to them because of it. But they're more than conquerors. We think they're invincible. They have the best training. They have the best communications gear. They have camaraderie. They have intelligence. More than anybody else, they have this wealth of intelligence they can draw upon, upon anything they need to know. And they have leadership and they serve with excellence and they're a team. And you may not feel like it, but when you were born again, you were born into a Navy SEAL kind of family. You weren't born into a wimpy family. You were born into as conquerors and overcomers. And there's a high value on your life. You, there was a high price paid for you. And you have a source of intelligence, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you have a commander in chief who gave his life for you. And he leaves no man behind. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's who he is. And you have seen what you see around you, these people, and unseen. You have angelic armies that come to render aid to you when you need it. And you have the red cross of Jesus that comes and brings healing to the very places you think cannot be healed. And you have powerful weapons of warfare called worship. You also have a bullseye on your life. Stephen Furtick, who's pastor of Elevation Church, said, the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. So we need perspective. We need pers- 
perspective so that we can operate in power so we can provide for our wounded and render aid so that we can properly assess our situation. We need perspective to properly assess our situation and to prepare for the storms ahead. So I want you to think about who the first Navy SEAL team was. It may not be what you're thinking. I think the first Navy SEAL team was SEAL Team 12, whose base was in Galilee, Israel. And their first deployment was right after they had finished their sermon on the Mount Boot Camp. And they had finished their outdoor field training and healing signs and multiplication wonders. And then they set out on their first deployment. And it's documented in our field training manual. In Matthew eight twenty three through 27, it says, They all got into a boat and began to cross over to the other side of the lake. And Jesus, exhausted, fell asleep. You know, commanders need rest, right? And he gives his beloved sweet rest. Well, suddenly, which means unexpectedly, a violent storm developed. With waves so high, the boat was about to be swamped. Yet Jesus continued to sleep soundly. Jesus wasn't phased, but he was also totally aware. He is God. Even with his eyes closed and resting, he was upholding the entire universe and knew everything that was going on. And yet he was at rest, aware. And, um, and I, I, Holy Spirit, just, I just can't leave this. I keep thinking of the fact that the Sea of Galilee is not a really big sea. It's kind of like, like Travis. And you think... How can a storm really come that big and be that overwhelming to this small fishing boat, you know? But my first, my first time on Lake Travis this summer, I was in a boat on a sunny day. And, you know, the waves just came together right and through me. And it was scary and traumatic, and I had bruises to show for it. And that was a sunny day. No wind, no storm, no nothing. So... That storm was something. That, it was scary to them. And yet Jesus slept in it. And I, I want to tell you another story. Uh, this, this Wednesday morning, in visiting with our worship pastors, the morning after their son had passed away, I was asking Annalise, how did you sleep last night? And, and thinking maybe she had slept like me. Like, not. (laughs) Um, But she said, oh, I've had no problem sleeping in this season. I said, really? And she looked at me. She said, no, I have a revelation. God gave me a revelation that if Jesus could sleep in the storm, so could I. And that really ministered to my heart and was the reason why I chose to go through the scripture today. It's revelation. So let's go back to the scripture. The disciples woke him up saying, save us, Lord. We're going to die. 
Stress will make you feel like you're going to die. You probably aren't, but the reality is you feel like you are. And those feelings are serious. Feelings don't determine reality, but they're a force that we have to face. So Jesus reprimands them. The next verse, why, why are you gripped with fear? Where is your faith? And that's a question for all of us today, too. It's not, why are you gripped with fear? It's why. It's a question to ask. It's a counseling question. So Jesus asked them that, but then he stands up. It's not, I don't even know if they gave a response to him, but he stands up and what does he do? He says, be still. And instantly the storm is calmed. And sometimes that's exactly what we need. We need him or someone else to speak to us, be still to the storm in our lives so that it will stop raging in our ears. So the disciples were astonished by the miracle and they said to one another, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey his word and the wind and the waves obey the word of God. The wind and the waves in our lives do. So let's look at this second deployment, similar, but a little different. Let's look at deployment number two, Matthew 14, 23 through 31. Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake. This time, while he stayed behind to dismiss the people. And after the crowds dispersed, Jesus went up to the hills to pray. And as night fell, he was there praying alone with God. So he was having a strategy meeting with his commander. But the disciples, who were now in the middle of the lake, ran into trouble. For their boat was tossed about by the high winds and heavy seas. So here they were again. But Jesus wasn't in the boat this time. So unexpected conditions. And at about 4 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them. And you guys know the story. Walking on the water. Can you imagine somebody walking on the water to you from, on Lake Travis? Right? So their response was probably similar to ours. The disciples saw him walking on top of the water and they were terrified and screamed, it's a ghost. And Jesus said, be brave and don't be afraid. I am here. You know, in the first story, they were afraid. So before he even asked them, he tells them, be brave. I'm here. And we need to hear that. Be brave. He's here. He's present. He's present. He's not distant from the, your situation. So Peter responds and Peter shouts out, Lord, if it's really you, then have me join you on the water. And Jesus says, come on, come and join me. You know, the SEAL team commander, Peter, he's like, it's you. I can do anything with you. And he jumps out of the boat and his eyes are on Jesus and he's going towards Jesus. And then you know what happens. He realizes the high waves and he's frightened and he starts to sink. He was looking at Jesus. 
And then the high waves, the circumstances, the stress, all of it. He starts to see it. And what happens? He starts to sink. And he calls out, save me, Lord. And Jesus stretches out his hand and lifts him up. And that's our Jesus. Right? Because one moment we've got great faith. And the next moment we're drowning. But our Jesus is the one who comes and saves us. Yeah, we have a savior, a higher power that comes to us in the storm. He walks through right on top of the storms to us, right? And then he helps us walk through the storm also. You know, in the first story, Jesus said, peace be still. In the second deployment, it doesn't say that happened. He may very well have just had the storm continue, but let Peter walk it out with him. You don't know the storms in our lives. Sometimes they stop and sometimes we have to endure. So like Peter, we need to call on him. We call on our commanding officer. Psalm 50:15 says, "Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me." And 1 Peter 5:7 says, "Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you." And do you see that picture of cast? It's like Peter reaching up his hand. It's the same thing we do in worship. We set our eyes on Jesus and not on our circumstance. And he does something supernatural and pulls us up and out and gives us perspective. He pulls us out so we can walk it out. That's what casting our care looks like him. Looks like with him. And I want to quote our worship pastors again, because they're on my heart so much today. So on Friday, I was just listening to Hayden and Annalise talk. And one of the things they were talking about was the role of worship in the storm that they have been through. And I quote him. He said, worship has been our comfort, truth, strength, and weapon against fear. So even as we worship at the end of the service today, I want you to tell him everything. Cast your care upon him. Take that. We don't just worship around here just to sing songs because they're good or we because we have talented musicians. It's because there's a supernatural heavenly experience that changes us when we worship. So we call on our commander and then we call on our team, right? Our team. And if you don't have a team yet, then sign us up. We'll be your team. It would be our honor to be your team. And we call our team for backup. We call our team for backup. We ask for that prayer force to come in and rain down on the enemy and what the enemy's doing. We need the perspective of our friends and professionals when things are going crazy. I needed my pastor, my friends, my doctor, my counselor. I needed their perspective because I could not see because I was going under. Don't let pride sink you. Pride says my issue is not big enough 
or if they really knew what was going on, they wouldn't like me, they would reject me, or my issue is my budget, and I don't really want anybody to see that. I'd be too embarrassed, or I'm lonely. Why should I reach out for that? I'm just going to be lonely. So don't let pride sink you. Talk to someone in a group. Get in a group. Get in Catalyst. And next step, choose humility. There's no shame in being the wounded one. You wouldn't look at a SEAL team and be shamed because someone was wounded in a battle. No, you care for them. You give them the best care, right? You give them the best care. So give your friends the honor of caring for you and being the healing hands of Jesus to you. Humility is a magnet for the power of God. It's a magnet. First Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He draws near to the humble. And hum- humility releases ability to do what's impossible. Many of you have done what's impossible or you're in the middle of impossible. You deserve the best care. So next, we need to assess our situation. In both stories, Jesus asks them the question, why are you afraid? Why are you gripped with fear? It isn't a shaming accusation, like what, like how could you be? But it's a question to ask yourself, what am I really afraid of? Am I afraid of death? Am I afraid of my situation? Am I afraid of diagnosis, loss, not being provided for? Am I afraid of the future and the future for my children, for my grandchildren? Those are real things. What are you afraid of? And asking the hard questions helps you see where the true enemy is. Don't be afraid to ask hard questions. Most, it's fear of something is actually worse than the something itself. So, and fear is that hidden weight behind the storm that wants to sink you. And it says you're not going to make it. It says you can't do it. It says you can't manage it and you won't get out. But exposing that undercurrent of lies helps you cut the cord to it and its power to sink you. So first John four eighteen says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And I just love that we cast our cares and reach out to perfect love, right? And he casts out fear on our behalf. That's how it works. We draw near to his perfect love and the love of others and letting them in. So lastly, like SEAL Team 12, we need to prepare for the storms ahead. Jesus spent a lot of time in the Gospels talking to them about what was going to come. He didn't say it was going to be easy. You know, heaven is different than what we have. We're still in the, we haven't even gotten to the book of Revelation, but he said, know the times and the seasons. And he told them to prepare. So I want to look at preparation in a particular way. 
Um, and I want to look at First Peter 5, verse 8, which says, Be well balanced and alert, because your enemy, the devil, roam, roar, <laughs> roams around incessantly like a roaring lion, looking for his prey to devour. So it says, be well balanced and always alert. I want to look at a particular side of being well balanced. So I have a picture for you to look at. You know your calendar, right? And your well balanced life somehow or another fits onto this, and 365 of them for the year. And then they add up day after day. And this right here is your, your preparation. And on here need to go your priorities, right? The, your time to be in your training manual and in worship and prayer. And your time with those who you love the most, who are part of your team, your spouse, your children, your friends. Like the relationships that you are on a team with. And then your work. Because as you know from the messages we did, we work. That's a gift from God. We're called to do it, and we do it. And we do it with excellence, and it's on our calendar. So you see those things on there, right? You can picture them in your mind. But then there's all this empty space, the margin of our lives. And our challenge is that we fill up the margins. We fill up the margins. We need margin, but we fill it with all sorts of things and screens fill it, right? This light coming from the screen, you're filling it when you wake up or at this moment or that moment of checking on this and checking on that. Never before has a generation had technology in their face all the time, right? So there, there's this light coming from there, but yet we're supposed to arise, shine for the glory of God is risen upon us and shining out of us. There is a need for margin in our lives so we can handle the blow of life so that we have quiet to listen, so that there's room to hear, so that there's room to meet with your friend, so that there's room to take on the challenges when they come. And um, having the space filled to the very edges is like being a balloon that is overfilled and the smallest thing will prick it and it'll, you'll explode on somebody. Right? So I want to just put before you to look at your calendar. It's because you've got to take care of yourself and your future and those around you. And you may not have expected it, but man, that giving your space margin helps you be the conqueror that he's called you to be. So I want to close with a testimony. We've been doing testimonies every week about just things that are going on in real people's lives in our congregation. And today, um, Lisa Kirby, if you would come up, she's one of our pastors here, and she's been an unusual season of being overwhelmed. And um, she is going to share part of the testimony of this last year in her life. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, yeah, so this, this really has been, um, for sure, the hardest year of my life. Um, I mean, menopause, first off, can we just throw that out there? But also, um, it's, been, it's been a really intense year of work for my husband um, as well. Um, about a year ago, my mom fell and broke a rib. 
And so my responsibilities as her caretaker increased. Uh, last fall, my son uh, was suffering with severe depression. And um, I was really, I was on the phone with him several times a day, just trying to keep him from going under. Uh, in January, I began some home renovations, if any of you have done that kind of stuff. And it's all still very much in disarray, even to this day. In February, my mom went on hospice. My caretaking for her increased again. In March, my daughter, Kailea, uh, had an emergency appendectomy while she was away at college uh, near Chicago. And I arranged care for my mom and went up there and spent a week taking care of her. In April, the post-op pathology results revealed cancer in her appendix. In May, she had follow-up surgery to remove cancer from her colon. It included removal of the entire right side of her colon in 36 lymph nodes. In June, well, before that, we were actually in the hospital with, I was in the hospital with her for a week and a half. It was supposed to be a three-day deal. And um, uh, my phone is going off to stop. Okay. Um, <laughs> she had internal bleeding and... Uh, it was very scary, and uh, she couldn't walk across the room without passing out. Lost a ton of blood. But nevertheless, in June, just a few weeks after that, she decided that she was going to go ahead and go to Thailand, rural Thailand, for her internship with Echo Asia, working on sustainable agriculture farms. In July, my mom fell again. This time, uh, she was bedridden after that, which increased my caretaking to include changing her multiple times a day and really watching her just struggle in the last days of her life as liver disease uh, took her um, slowly. And she passed in late August. Two weeks later, my father passed away. I went to his funeral September 13th, and today we'll have services for my mom at 2.30 here. You're welcome to join us. We'll be celebrating her life. So you could say it's been an overwhelming year. I don't think I really realized how much, how hard it was until Kailea's diagnosis. But you know what welled up in me after the shock of that wore off was this just declaration in my soul that I was not going to be taken out by fear and grief. God was good. I knew he was with me. And I knew I had a choice to either drown in fear and grief or stand in the truth that God was good. He was for me. He was for Kailea. He was for all of us. And, and that he could work good out of the hardest things. I've seen him do it before. And it was also this place of just really grabbing hold hard to this belief that I genuinely have about eternity, that this life really isn't the whole deal, you know? This is the pregame show to a forever where there isn't all the hard stuff. But there is something about how we live out the hard stuff and, and, and this surrendering to him in that place 
and I wanted to do that well, and I do want to do that well. But I don't always feel super strong in it. Um, in fact, some, I, I wrote uh, in my journal, this is a partial journal entry from when I was in the hospital with Kailea, and it kind of explains it. It says, I don't feel like a mighty spiritual warrior in this place. Although my faith in his goodness and ability is for my declaration of that goodness of healing in Jesus' name comes out more like a child in her daddy's arms, less like a warrior and more like when my children as barely speaking toddlers would reach arms up toward me and say, Mama holds you. They didn't even have to get the grammar or pronunciation right. I knew what they meant, knew what they needed. Without hesitation, I would scoop them up. It was my delight to hold them. They didn't even have to ask if they were hurting or sick. My love and compassion for them compelled me to hold them in their weakness especially. He is the same. He is here. He is here with me and Kailea in this place of suffering. He knows it well, and there is grace here. And crazy as it sounds, I had peace. <laughs> I had peace there and in all the other things. The cost of the peace was to daily just go before him and let go of what I wanted and just trust in his goodness and trust in what he was doing and just ask him for help, you know, and just let it go and trust him. And even on the hardest days, this choice of trusting his goodness and going about whatever was before me with love brought me peace that surpasses understanding. I'm also pretty good at being really honest with people about what's going on, what I need, and letting them pray for me, asking for them to pray for me, and um, I'm trying to eat right and, you know, get enough sleep and worship a lot because that helps me too. I'd like to share myself and all of you that um, the hard year is over and it's smooth sailing from here, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe there are more trials ahead. But what I do know and what I have learned in this place, and I want to impart to you today, is that the peace of Jesus is a real thing. And, you know, when we don't, we don't, we can't find it. <laughs> and we can crawl up in our daddy's arms, you know, whenever we feel overwhelmed. And, and he loves us and he's there. Thank you. Would you all stand? The worship team is going to just lead us in a time of focusing our eyes on him and the truth of who he is. And the, the ministry team is going to be up here for you. And especially if you're grieving and you have sorrow and deep sadness, not knowing what's going to come. Would you reach out? Would you cast your cares on him in this time and reach out to others and let them just come alongside you? Let's spend some time in worship.
Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11. See you next time.